Today, here on Way of Grace, we continue our series, Arise, Move, and Go. We're in Genesis chapter 5, looking at the first 24 verses. Cain is up for examination. Join us. Way of Grace, Pastor Jessica Stand, next. are so many lessons to be learned from the life of Cain, the sacrifice he gives, the murder he commits, and God's mercy in the midst of it all to Cain. Welcome to Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan from Grace Bible Church in Hayward, online at grace-bible.com. Today, we turn our attention once again to Genesis 5, verses 1 through 24, and a message that Pastor Jesse has simply entitled a preview of the ultimate exodus. Join us for today's broadcast of Way of Grace. Here's Pastor Jesse. Cain had been called to worship right along with his brother Abel. Wake up. And that the worship didn't go well for Cain. Because God is operating at a level in this context of presence and conscience. So, right, we're in the presence of God and that's not good for everybody. Some people are not in a position where they can benefit from being in the presence of God. The conscience is too laden down with all kind of guilt and condemnation and deceit and corruption. And remember what Jesus said in John 3, 19, men love what? They love darkness and they hate the light. And the Bible tells us God is light. And this is why some people can't stand the idea of a sovereign divine being having control of us. Am I making some sense? So what I share with you is when you come up out of Genesis chapter two, very clearly, there is something missing. And if you don't understand the inference of mystery and interpretation, you miss what's missing. And what was missing was the presence of God and the conscience of Eve and the presence of God and the conscience of Cain. And that's why they walked into the darkness that they did. Am I making some sense? You know, this is true because it happens to you and me, too. We will wake up without a cognitive, intentional quorum deal with God and the whole day goes wrong, doesn't it? If God didn't put a chain on us because we were a bunch of fools and drag us out of the course of death, we'd head right on down to the pit. And so we saw Eve make a disaster of it, didn't she? I'm going to call her Isha because I told you she was not called Eve until she was restored. Because she's called to be Eve as the mother of all living, Genesis chapter uh, 3, around verse 20. But before she was called Eve, she was just a woman. Just a woman. And as just a woman, she forgot what her role was. Didn't I tell you that? She left off submitting to her hierarchy of authority, God, and then her husband. Because if it had been two of them, they would have defeated the enemy. Isn't that what the Bible says? Woe to him that is alone. Because when one comes against him, he cannot overcome him. But yes, when there's two, they can prevail against one. She messed up. And so her and her husband had to actually deal with the hard reality that God doesn't lie. But what did God do? He didn't just let them perish. Here's the first response that we get in a God of mercy. He hunted them down. 
Now, what you're going to understand is from that point to where we are now, God's still hunting down. God has to hunt the sinner down. He hunted Eve and Adam down. He took them through a courtroom hearing because God is a judge. And then not only did he hunt them down, he called them. Then he covered them. Did he cover them? Then he kicked them out of there, out of his house. Called, covered and kicked out. Remember, that was the second arise, move and go, I told you. The first one Eve should have heard when she realized that the world had been turned upside down, a postmodern state of irrationality, and she was talking to a snake. How crazy must you be to think you can talk to a snake and everything going to be all right? But that's where we are in our generation, are we not? Where we done turned everything upside down. The animals are equal to the human beings because a human being is not made in the Imago day. We might as well be talking to snakes and turtles and tadpoles and everything else and expect them to talk back. Now, when you walk around and you hear people talking to tadpoles and frogs and snakes, understand their world has been turned upside down. People that got sense know better. And we understand the hierarchy of God and man and woman and the family and that we're created in the Imago Dei. And our job is to have dominion over everything that God gave us. We respect the creatures. We know they have levels of intelligence. We can benefit from that. They are not equal to human beings. So we have to live with that because, you know, Miss Isha brought that in and Adam helped her. And then we look up and Eve has two children. The first is the firstborn. His name is what? Cain. 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 And the secondborn is who? Abel. 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 And Abel and Cain are now the two brothers that develop for us the binary conflict running all the way through the scriptures. The battle between the righteous and the wicked. Between the elect and the non-elect between the saved and the unsaved, between the wicked and the righteous, between people that walk by faith and people that walk by sight. Those are the lessons you run through your Bibles. Am I making some sense? And so here we are with Cain, and I'm going to make an argument that the problem with Cain, when God had called them to worship because Cain had been taught how to worship because he had parents that loved God, didn't he? Adam and Eve loved God. And God showed them that. He can easily receive a sinner. We believe that, don't we? God loves sinners. And he has made a provision by which sinners can have a relationship with him. And Mama and Eve and Daddy Adam taught their children. Listen to me, you boys. You don't know it, but you're going to find out real soon that you're a sinner. And you're going to have to understand that God doesn't put up with sin. He has a provision for it. And when we reject that provision, we're going to suffer some consequences. That's the message we preach today, is it not? That men need Christ. They need the grace of God. They need redemption and reconciliation. Now, Abel watched his mama and daddy worship God by sacrifice as they told them that God was the first person to offer a sacrifice to himself to set the pattern of how worship should be. 
God was the first person to do the right kind of worship that honored God. He took a lamb, he slew it, and he acknowledged the blood atoning work of that lamb as a covering for Adam and Eve. And then he clothed them with the coats of that animal skin and said, from here on out, your hope is in the shed blood of my son who is coming one day. Worship me via the blood atoning work of Christ. Did y'all get that? So Adam and Eve had two boys, and I guess one day Cain woke up and said, I'm tired of the gospel. I'm tired of the gospel. I am not the sinner that God and my mama and my daddy say I am. I think this time when I come to worship, I'm coming to worship without blood. And that's what he did. And that's why your Bible says what it says over in Genesis chapter 4. Verse four, Abel, he brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. Do you see that? Now, what, it, what does it mean, the fat thereof? I'm getting ready to teach you. It means he killed that animal. He killed it, cut it open, cleaned it out and gave God the fat portion. As the Levitical code said must occur. The priests were to give God the greatest portions and the fat. Even Abel way back then understood appropriate worship before God. So God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, was he not? Because he understood the deeper penetrating reality and emblem of that sacrifice. And then here comes Brother Cain. You see it? Notice what it says. But unto Cain and to his offering, God did not have what? And Cain was what? Very angry. Point number one, the brutal mercies of the wicked. This is the distinction that God makes all through the Bible. Men and women that don't submit to God's righteousness are put in a category called the wicked. Peter describes this well in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Just listen to it. I want you to hear this. This is where we make a distinction between those who are reserved and those who are preserved. For those of you who are new, please understand, God reserves men and women to the day of judgment. But God also preserves his elect to the day of glory. Y'all can write that down, think about it, memorize it. There's a distinct difference between being reserved and preserved. How many of you guys keeping up with me right now? Okay, I know I'm going to lose you in about 20 minutes, so I'm going to drill this down. Now, reservation is what mankind does all the time when he appoints a day, good or bad, for something to occur. When you commit a crime, you get a notice in the mail. A certain day, you got to come to court. That's called a reservation. Did you get that? Now, a reservation doesn't have anything to do with who you are, what you are, what you do, anything. It just talks about a time where you got to meet the judge. The Bible tells me that God has appointed a day wherein he will judge this world. That's called a reservation. We all got one. But there are some people who are called God's elect. Now, these are the people for whom Christ died. These are the people who believe the gospel. These are the people like Abel who know they're real sinners. You can hardly find a real sinner today 
especially in church. Because everybody loves to boast in their own righteousness. See, you really got to believe God to know that apart from his grace, nothing you can do can merit favor with God to get you out of the predicament of going to hell. That requires a lot of grace. And the sustained testimony that you are a sinner by nature and you are only the righteousness of God in Christ by grace requires humility. Because every time somebody comes to you and say, well, what is your hope? You have to let them know my hope is in a God who knows how to justify sinners by the merits of somebody else and grant them access into his presence with all of the affording benefits that comes with the sinner substitute, Jesus to Christ. Isn't that good news? But not for the righteous. That is for the self-righteous. That's not good news. The vast majority of the world are like Cain. Do you know what that means? They are willing to take the chance on standing before God on the grounds of something they do. Did you hear what I just stated? Every man will proclaim his own goodness. That's the delusional disposition of everyone for whom the Holy Spirit hasn't given them a real persuasive conviction that they are hellbound sinners. See, once you realize that you are a hopeless hellbound sinner, you are more than ready to listen to God's solution about how to get out of it. As I stated, church folks, are still and get wrapped up in their self-righteousness. You know it by how they argue and fight with one another. Am I making some sense? Here's what you might know while I'm still working on the vortex to get you into the center of a wonderful mystery. You'll mark that Cain had a brother who loved him enough to model what it means to be a redeemed sinner. Libra modeled what it means to be a redeemed sinner. Is that love or what? You'll notice that Abel did not argue with Cain. You'll notice that Abel didn't get into fights with Cain, didn't debate with Cain, didn't provoke Cain. All Abel did was love God and follow him. I told you the text from which we have our New Year's theme, John 14, um, 31, part C, arise, let us go hence. It's predicated upon a promise that was given to you and me in that same chapter. Chapter 14 of John's gospel is about the love of God in Christ manifested in our heart and actually expressed in terms of obedience. I'll go there in a moment. But this will be true of every believer. Every believer will have the love of God flowing in their heart. Every believer will trust Christ as their mediating savior. And every believer will strive to live out and express the benefits of that sacrificial love and obedience to God. Would you agree with that? We'll have our issues, but the preponderance of our life will be committed to walking with God. What a wonderful thought. I'm not there yet. I really want to press down into it. Here's what. Here's what was said for if God spared not the angels that sinned, and we'll be dealing with that in our Jude study, but cast them down to hell. This here is Gehenna and delivered them into change of darkness. But what did he do? But to be reserved unto judgment. Keep going. Verse five and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in uh, the flood upon the world of the ungodly. That's where we're going. Look at verse six, 
turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making an example unto those that afterwards should live ungodly. Verse seven, and delivered just Lot, not just Lot, like Lot only, but a man with whom the only way we can say he was saved is because God said he was saved. I'm going to unpack that when we get there, too, because can can you not hear the imperative lot arise, move and go? Can you not hear it? And God's going to have to give him a little help, isn't he? I told you God is a merciful God. He'll give you the command when you act the fool. He'll grab you by your nappy head and drag you right on out if he loves you. Isn't he good? Is God good? How many of you guys know that God will drag you out your mess? Yeah, might as well tell it. The only reason I'm safe and secure is because somebody hunted me down and dragged me out. And we know Lot was slow. We know he was slow. We'll get there in about five studies. And if you want to know how I'm going to be tracking this out, just read Hebrews because Hebrews 11 gives us our outline for the patriarchs we're dealing with. We're dealing now with uh, Enoch because that's the way it unfolds, okay? He delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, one of the indicators that you're born again. You hate wickedness in the world and in yourself. Now listen to what he says. For that righteous man dwelling among them, seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now this is the generation I live in. The generation I live in was the generation Lot lived in, which is the generation that Enoch lived in. Enoch's going to teach us that. It's a generation where people are vilely, filthily, and unashamedly godless. It ought to bother us. Look at the next verse. Here it is. Notice what the Lord knows. He knows how to deliver the godly out of what? By saying, arise, move, and go. Do you hear me? Listen to it. And to do what? And to do what? Reserve the unjust to the day of punishment to be punished. These are the two paths of human beings. This is why David was saying the psalm. Go back to Genesis chapter four. Here's why David was saying the psalms. Why doth the wicked prosper? Why do they spread out like the green bay tree? Why do they get old, live long, have many children? That's what David was asking. Why do they often seem healthier and more abundant and more happy than those who are your own people? What David said, the only way I could answer that is when I went to a gospel church and the word of God was faithfully expounded. That's Psalm 73 for you. Okay, he said, I couldn't answer it until I went into the temple. And when I went into the temple, the doctrine of atonement taught me that God saves and God damns. God's patient with sinners, but ultimately will punish them. And that's what the cross teaches us. God doesn't play with sin. Then he understood that he had put the wicked in slippery paths. Now, see, some of us really struggle with how ungodliness can just go on and on and on. Ain't that right? You just wonder how, how long? That's one of the prayers of all the saints through the Bible. How long, oh Lord, how long? It even runs up into the book of Revelation chapter six. 
and I saw the souls that were under the altar. This here is called the sixth seal, fifth seal. And they were saying, Lord, how long? And that's because your walk in mind is a journey of faith that requires patience. And what's the word, saints? Perseverance. You can't get moved. You got to understand God is up to something. You got to understand that God is up to a day called the harvest. Now, see, the farmer can teach you how to be patient, can he? The farmer will teach you that you got to plow the ground, break up the fallow ground. You got to break it up real good. And then you got to lay lines that are even and right and consistent before you sow the seed. You don't get to lay crooked lines and obtuse lines and all kind of bizarre lines. Those lines have to be straight. That's called biblical doctrine. It has to be orthodox. Biblical doctrine, sound doctrine, coherent, linear, progressive, sound doctrine. So you can lay that seed down and you can know where you laid it. So when the rain comes and there is a harvest, you know where that seed is. You know where it came from. That's what God is doing. And we've been taught by God through Jesus' son in Matthew 13 to let the wheat and the tares grow together. That's the reason why we, you and I are in the midst of so much trouble. The wheat and the tares are growing together. And sometimes fools think they're wiser than God and want to separate the wheat from the tares. You get that in churches all the time. These are works religion churches. These are Canaanite churches. Keep up with me. These are churches where men and women think that they can distinguish the elect from the non-elect by what they do or by what they don't do. Well, I don't think any of us are any smarter than the disciples and they couldn't pick up on Judas. The other thing is Jesus obeyed his own principle. He let Judas grow up with them. Now you let them grow up to the harvest because in the harvest, you discover that some folk who were boasting how saved they were, weren't saved at all. Then you find the other folks struggling like all get up. Lord, I don't don't know, Lord. Have mercy on them. I mean, struggling, Lord, I don't, oh Lord, I don't know. I sure hope so. Lord, have mercy. May the blood atoning work of Christ be my Lord. Have mercy on me. Y'all keeping up with me? Everybody in the church saying they lost, they're not saved, they don't know Christ, they're not making a, a, a firm confession of faith, they didn't come pray the sinner's prayer. How many folks you know have prayed the sinner's prayer right back out the door, right back to hell? Anybody keeping up with me? That's a delusion. God is the one that's going to be glorified on that day when he pulls back the curtains and exposes who his people were and who his people are. In the meanwhile, the just shall live by what? Faith Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Close your eyes when it comes to wanting to turn around and judge everybody else. Let God work that out. You need to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. We find folks that are so sure everybody else is unsaved. As soon as the wind blow, they gone. Am I making some sense? 
All right. So what we're dealing with here in our text is something that I want to call your attention to, to resolve a little bit of theological controversy, but not much for me. I think I have persuaded you that Cain's fundamental problem here is he thought he could come to God without blood. Now, here's a paradoxical reality that's going to come up. Subpoint A, Cain was what? Yet unthankful. Is that what I say? Yet unthankful. We are out of time today. We'll close our program out here and pick up where we left off next time we're together here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. We trust it was profitable in your walk and relationship with Christ. Our goal here at Way of Grace is to make sure that you are growing in Christ, that you are living a life worthy of the calling that has been placed on your life from the gospel. If you have questions, comments, prayer requests, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us here at Way of Grace. Our phone number is real easy. You can reach out to us at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. You can also reach us at our website, grace-bible.com. And you can email us from that website as well as find out more about us, who we are, what we believe worship opportunities. In fact, our worship opportunities are really quite simple. Sundays at 1030, we meet here at the church in Hayward. We also have a Friday evening Bible study at 630 and then a Tuesday evening prayer and Bible study at 630 as well. For more information, again, grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Reach out to us by mail if you want to write 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. The zip code is 94541. As always, it's a pleasure spending time with you here in God's Word, growing in His grace. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Say, we love Jesus anyway.